All right, let's go. Nightmare visions of the accursed ritual by why not? Let's just say it's HP Lovecraft. All right, uh, HP Lovecraft esque scary story for Halloween. I wrote a story about voting. It's called Nightmare Visions of the Accursed Ritual. I'm going to walk my friends here through uh, something very scary that they have to do this weekend. That's a good name. Thank you. I stayed up all night <laughs> writing a scary story. Someone's got him. The reason I wrote a scary story for um, for Halloween is because I don't think we're going to have a Halloween this year. Or at least a lot of people aren't. It's still kind of up in the air whether anything is going to happen in New York. But um, it sounds like this is going to be one of the worst of all time. When it could have been one of the best of all time. It's happening on a Saturday on Daylight Savings Time with a full moon. That is what we call a turkey in Halloween terms. That's a triple X. That's what we call a dead turkey. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the things that could align up to make a good Halloween. And we have to spend this shit inside. So I wrote a scary story for our listeners to remind them not to vote or not to not vote, just that it exists because it's also a thing that's happening right now. So if you're listening at home, I want you to play along with Anders and Alex here. I want you to close your eyes and, uh, and really immerse yourself in this walkthrough of what it feels like to be uh, alive right now. So, it's Saturday, October 31st. You're laying in bed. You um, have been haunted by nightmares for months on end. Visions and auditory hallucinations of uh, Kumail Nanjiani. He's telling you to vote. Mark Hamill, he's telling you to vote. Um, the Imagine video. Uh, T- Tommy Lee is dick out. He's saying, I voted naked. Everyone's saying, vote, vote, Dad. vote. They're not telling you who to vote for. Mark Hamill is in an Uber commercial. You're rolling around, frothing at the mouth, sweating. You're in a cold sweat. You're in bed. You're, what does it mean? What does it mean? You, know, you feel drawn. In a certain direction, you can't even place where it is. You wake up, you put on your clothes, and uh, you walk outside. You can't help, you just feel this overcoming, dreading feeling that is just pushing you towards the uh, local middle school. Uh-oh. So, oh, that's no. usually not a good sign. I'm not <laughs> yeah. supposed to go there anymore. <laughs> Not since like eighth grade. The middle schools across a very large, dried brown field. It's filled with scarecrows. I'm sorry. Fuck. I fucked that up. Let's go back and edit that out. It's, it's filled with what? It's filled with corn. It's a cornfield. <laughs> so you walk through the cornfield. The uh, the leaves crunch on the ground beneath your feet 
crunch, crunch. The sun is oh, I hear it. setting. Yeah, this is an auditory spooky Halloween tape also. You could play this at your party in the background. It's mostly words, but there's stuff like this happening too. You uh, step on something. You feel something skitter across your feet. You look down and for a faint second, you see what appears to be a rat with a human face. Startled, you clutch the Bible in your front pocket. You look back down. Normal rat. It was just your imagination. You come upon... It must have just been the leaves. <laughs> the sound of leaves spooking me. <laughs> you come upon... None other than... A spooky scarecrow. Propped up... In the middle of the field. Legs dangling from the... You know, the stick that it's tied to. The legs are wearing really cool Tims. Really nice shoes. Nice. Yeah. Dangling from a scare stick. Suddenly it begins speaking. Hey. Hey, you going to you going to this middle school? You shouldn't go there. It's scary. It's just scary over there. You need to turn back. I'm Kamala Scares. Kamala scares. <laughs> <laughs> they keep me out here. You shouldn't go. You shouldn't be inside. You should go. You should go. Go back home. It's dangerous to be outside. It's <laughs> too scary out there. Can we hear her evil laugh? Yeah, she also. It's the scarecrow laughs when you, you've mentioned uh, jail, like jail to it. And you go, ah, 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 shit, that's a good one. Uh -huh. <laughs> I love it when people are in jail. Let Children. me introduce you to my friend Tupac. I love understand it. the story. Right. <laughs> no, it's all right. There's no rules here. Uh, you're pretty weirded out by the scarecrow. You know, feel. You feel like you might heed its warnings, go back home. It seems vaguely threatening. Um, but still, you can't overcome the pull. The pull urges you forward toward the uh, local middle school. You move a little bit further through the rustling leaves. <laughs> and then suddenly... There they are. You hear a sound. Oh my god. Oh my god, it sounds like a spooky chainsaw. Like from oh, Jason. I thought movies. it was a spooky dirt bike for a second. <laughs> but no, that's definitely a chainsaw. Oh my god, is it a madman? Is it a raving lunatic? Come to come to saw off your flesh and bones. Suddenly. You're actually right, Alex. It was something resembling a dirt bike. It's actually a solar-powered uh, city e-bike like the guys that deliver food work on. I knew it. <laughs> I know that sound. It's, it's Howie Hawkins. Scary. Howie Hawkins pulls up to you on a on, a sol on his magical solar-powered e-bike. Oh, yeah. uh, you going to vote on that? Into the voting center? <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind that scarecrow. She ain't, she ain't hurt nobody. Mostly. 
I need you to I need you to do me a favor now. I need you to go inside the the middle school. This is a, I don't know if you heard much. This is a terrifying sacred ritual occurring today. Niggas trying to keep me out of there, you know. And that's just said, listen, listen. The Greens, we're doing a good job here, okay? What we need though is community engagement. So what I need, mm. I need you to go inside. They won't let me inside now. Right. There's a there's a there's a terrifying lever I need you to pull in there for me, okay? Now I'm gonna give you three tools to help you because this will not be an easy task. And he hands you three pouches. You open them. One contains um a bottle of what appears to be blessed water. Um it's sort of faintly glowing. One is a sacred herb he calls a wolfsbane. It's sort of like half purple, half green. It's dried okay. a little bit. The other one is a just a mysterious crystal lens. Looks almost like a magnifying glass. He's all right now. Thank you, Howie Hawkins. Hey, you should know. Anytime, you know, it's a serve a function. It's basically like a Gandalf sort of situation. I'm gonna go now. All right. Okay. Drives <laughs> <laughs> away. Drives away on his e-bike. There it is. <laughs> I'll miss you. Thank you for the gifts. Yeah, he's a good character. Um, you were further further through the leaves, right? Suddenly, you begin to be able to make out a very long line of hooded figures. Appear to be some sort of cultist acolytes standing uh, roughly six feet apart from each other circling the building and all the way back around into the field some of them uh wearing opposing sigils you make out on the back of one particularly terrifying acolyte's robe yellow lettering you can't read it but you know somehow through some sort of cosmic connection it says friend of the pod on the back oh no it's very scary <laughs> Sort of an opposing cult figure. Says, uh, his is red, you know. He has a, a terrifying skull with black, white, and blue paint splattered across it. Right? He's, uh, you know, you hear them murmuring to each other. You decide, uh, you're just going to try to sneak past them as you move forward to the front of the line. There's something, something in the distance guarding the door to the middle school. You see a uh, smoke billowing out. What appears to be a cauldron. All right, you see a figure, a robed figure, stirring the cauldron and uh, dropping various pieces of snakes. Blood and teeth. Sort of like... Is that anything else they're putting in there? Um, yeah, sure. They're putting a... <laughs> I don't know. I didn't write that part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we got, we're dealing with a witch here, right? But what you I, guess I'm, I guess I'm. what I'm getting at is I'm jonesing for some Kratom. We'll get to that. Yeah, there's Kratom in it. <laughs> okay, good. There's not Kratom in it. There's snakes and blood and teeth. <laughs> And cocaine. Sorry, he pulls a bag out, and you see 
just like a hit, like a tiny white powder just dips, drips in, stirs in. You can't see the figure's face, but what you could see coming out of the armholes in the robe is the most terrifying, cursed, blackish, greenish, band-aided hands you've ever seen in your Uh-oh. life. What does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean? As you get further, you hear the figure speak. Ah. Senator, I say it. is that you? I'm Witch McConnell. <laughs> oh no! My name is Witch McConnell. No. I should have known. <laughs> okay, and Witch. How did you get past the long line? You look back, and the the acolytes are all like break dance battling with each other, and he just sort of gesture. You know, they just got into a fight with each other. They're, you know, it's it's pretty stupid. Is that that makes sense? Well, you cannot come inside unless you. Solve my riddle. Um, Let's do it, witch. Which animal is always at home wherever he goes? It's a turtle. A turtle. It's a turtle. Yes. It is a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, we fucking schooled him. Witch McConnell just he starts melting into uh, the ground like the Wizard of Oz, it's pretty cool. The acolytes are distracted. You move forward. You sneak past them. Suddenly, you're inside. Ah. (laughs) You appear to be in an empty, cavernous hall. You lurk forward in the darkness. Grab a torch off the wall suddenly appearing against the back wall there's a card table behind the card table there's a ghost spooky glowing figure handing out uh, cursed scrolls he says um is uh, are you from this area code are you from this zip code all right can i find a scroll for you um. Oh yes. God! He's <laughs> startled. Uh, hold on! I gotta, I gotta go to the bathroom. He gets up. He goes into the public bathroom. You hear this chains dragging as he walks. Faintly inside of the bathroom, you didn't follow him, and you're still outside. You can hear him sort of loudly orating to himself. He's saying, um, one thing we believe in here in the afterlife is that life doesn't exist only after, but before uh, playing by the playbook. All right. It's important all in all in, uh, both the ethereal realm and a little place called, uh, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, it's about in- individuals coming together as a community. He just sort of trails off like that, and then there's a skeleton at the card table, and he says, oh, uh, don't mind him. That's Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you take the scroll and get out of here, though, because he'll talk your ear off. That's pretty much all he knows how to do. <laughs> um, you can't really disagree with what he says, but... 
Yeah. It's, it's the way he says it. Um, suddenly, oh my god, he's following you. You, you yeah. make towards the, the door to the uh, to the, the next room, the theater room. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, is following you. He's saying, wait, hold, hold on, come back here, you know? Um, he appears to be a little bit angrier. And uh, you, you feel a cold chill inside of your body as he just begins to drone on and on and on with empty platitudes and technocracy. Um, suddenly you remember the the sacred herb that Howie Hawkins gave you. Yes. Anders, you take the herb. <laughs> Thank you, Howie. Yeah, yeah. You feel compelled to uh, make a tincture out of it. Yeah. Pull okay. your cigarette okay. lighter and a spoon. Mm, sounds right. about right. Yeah. <laughs> you drink it, and uh, <laughs> suddenly Pete Buttigieg vanishes from <laughs> your sight. So you give the same thing to Alex, right? He's not even there anymore. You've escaped Pete Buttigieg. The, I actually, I don't want any. It makes me feel weird. Yeah, it makes Alex throw up. <laughs> <laughs> and put Pete Buttigieg disappear. That's good to know for future reference. Yeah, drink I, your kratom and no more, no more Mayor Pete. Yeah, you can't see horrible, terrifying. He's kind of like a ghost in that he's like he's dead from the primary, but he's just still around. You know, Unfinished still around writing his memoir. Yeah, dragging his terrible chains. Yeah, yeah. You hear the, the chains just sort of They slowly fade Oh his old ball and chain Chassis yeah. <laughs> His <laughs> What a Yeah that's a spooky fucking name For his spouse Chassin. What a haunted name <laughs> Um With Pete Buttigieg Fading, fading in the background you briskly make your way into a room that is labeled uh, you know, theater. You open the door. There's a mysterious hooded figure standing behind an altar Uh-oh. at the top of what appears to be a stage. He, um, he reaches behind the altar and uh, pulls out what appears to be a goblet of red, viscous liquid. Uh-oh. What's that? Pulls his head, hood back, drinks the liquid, looks around to the room and says, Yeah, it tastes fine to me. All right? <laughs> I don't see any problem. They said the blood around here is not fine. It's perfectly drinkable. If you like your blood, I can keep it. Hi, I'm Baracula. <laughs> oh, well, I don't see why you would lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what we're here to do, he pulls his robe sleeves up, all right, and he's uh, just sort of speaking in Barack Obama-isms. We're talking about coming together, reaching across the aisle. That's the aisle right there, you can see. Um, what we're going to do is, as a community, as a nation, come out, Tonight, drink the blood of the innocents. Convert them to our ways. Feed. Tonight we feed. Right? 
Um, I came here to vote. <laughs> <laughs> there's like there's like a hooded pe- people kind of in the in the theater seats, just sort of droning along, nodding along, you know. And uh, they start to catch wind of you, and he says, "Them, them, that there, I smell fresh blood." Uh, Malia, Malia, get him, you know. Um, he uh, suddenly, as his eyes lock on you, he begins to levitate and uh, float towards you. Not even fast, you know. Just he does. He's he's very confident. So I'm getting at. He's just zeroing in on you. His uh, teeth begin to form into fangs. He's um. You know, eyes turn red. Terrifying. You think, oh my god, this is how it ends. I'm going to be bla- drained of my blood by uh, by Count Baracula. Then suddenly it occurs to you, oh, you know what I can use? I, I feel compelled for some reason. I bet that this blessed water will help me. You pull out the pouch containing the small bottle of uh, magical water. Unscrew the top, press it to your left nostril, compress your right nostril. You feel just a magnifying head rush. Makes you feel as though you exited this mortal realm for one moment. Hell yeah. Your asshole loosens in ways that are uh, unfathomable to mortal kind. Um. All the blood in your body appears to rush probably down to your dick and asshole. And uh, as he sinks his teeth into into your neck, he begins to choke and sputter and uh, cough and turn white and turn into ash. He's There's no blood in your body. It all went to your asshole. <laughs> and for a moment, he's... He's sort of rebuked, and he turns into a bat, and he flies out the window. Well, that I never knew that that would hurt a vampire if they try to suck blood, but there isn't any blood. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really painful. But yeah, I'll keep that in mind for the future, for sure, because like I go to vote almost every time. It could happen, yeah. Right. I'm just glad he's out of the picture, man. That guy was no good. Yeah. he's He's, he's not killed, but he's, you know... He's going to keep his distance now. He's he's gone to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> they're going to they're going to run out of uh I voted stickers in some of these polling places and need a vampire to like etch it into people's chests with their teeth. You know, just do little bite marks with the I voted. Yeah, just two dots. Maybe that's what you get right now. Yeah, yeah. and we just it just happened so quickly, we don't know. Could be. I don't actually work at the middle school. I don't know what you get. <laughs> Screech. Nice. Whoa. You hear the, the eerie sound of ancient rusted hinges being pushed forward off near the side of the stage in the corner of the room. A sarcophagus, an ancient golden sarcophagus in the shape of an ice cream cone appears <laughs> to open. <laughs> uh, you hear faint uh, grumbling voice. Yeah, Ugh. Hi. yeah. Who da- who dares? Ugh. How do I open? How do I open PDF? 
All right. <laughs> Listen, Jack. Listen, Jack. Oh, shit. That explains so much. Joe Biden is a ghost. He was resurrected because they needed somebody to run for president. He doesn't, and he's disoriented. He doesn't know what the fuck is going on. He's supposed to be in hell, and he's here. Uh, he's confused about it. Close. Um, suddenly, you hear, feel ice cold breath on the back of your neck. Terrified, your head jerks to, to you know, right around. You see a terrifying mummy. It's ah! hands. It's a mummy, yes. <laughs> it's a form of ghost. It's a form of, all along. Yeah. form of undead. Hands wrapped in blood-stained ancient bandages. Pieces of bandage are flickering off. Dried blood everywhere as it caresses your shoulders and smells the nape of your neck. No. Hey, who, who dares? Not the nape. Who not the nape? <laughs> Anywhere but the ape. Who who dares wake slumbering Joe Biden? All right. <laughs> listen, 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 Jack. I I gotta shoot you in the leg with the uh, <laughs> brandishes. What appears to be like an ancient Egyptian crossbow. I'll shoot you right in the leg, pal. Whoa! Jack. All right. What we're gonna do. All right, and that's what this campaign's all about. All right. What the fuck? I came to vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you treat me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> his grip becomes a uh, superhumanly strong on your shoulders. It's actually rather alarming. Um, it appears he doesn't know his own strength, and if something's not done quickly, you know he could very well crush your bones is leaving you in the theater forever. I don't want that. Suddenly the lens calls to you from your pocket. You pull it out. You realize uh, there's a just a faint cone of moonlight shining in through you know a large auditorium window into a right directly into you know what appears to be like an Indiana Jones style sacred uh, like ancient altar you make a break for the the altar and with your last breath before the mummy wraps his fingers around your legs you smash the lens into um you know, it's like already kind of built for it to fit into it, like you're on one of those old Nickelodeon game shows. The moonlight shines through the altar, begins to glow, begins to uh, emit, uh, sort of emit uh, what? Emit what? <laughs> faint music and colorful images. Oh. Um, shining on the wall, right? Okay. What is this mysterious song? It's so melodic and haunting. The mummy, he suddenly loosens his grip, begins to shuffle back and forth in a delightful two-step style dance. 
All right. All right. Images of uh, Japanese teenagers reflect all over the walls, entrancing him. Oh, they're uh, so alone. (laughs) He's, uh... He's he's suddenly transfixed in a way that you find yourself able to escape his evil mummy grasp. Moving from the theater into a a room labeled uh, gymnasium. It also says, vote here. All right. You make your way through the double doors. And uh, you see an ancient ritual booth far end of the room, you know, that must be it. That must be where you put the scroll. This must be what these, you know, evil gods from space have been compelling you to do this whole time. So as you wait, make your way towards the booth, you hear more terrifying sounds. Suddenly you see him, an evil doctor. Clearly driven mad by his own pursuits. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> you know what he's in. <laughs> white lab coat, you know, leather straps, sort of holding his limbs back onto his own body. Um, big cursed lens hovering over one of his eyeballs. He uh, is pumping a mysterious glowing green liquid into a what appears to be a reanimated corpse. Lightning sort of shooting around the room and Tesla coils shooting one to the other. And uh, the the shadowy silhouette of what appears to be something resembling man, but far larger and far more powerful, shuffles back and forth, dancing. It appears to be dancing. Moving one arm out at a time and just sort of shuffling left to right every once in a while, claps its hands. Macho Man plays faintly from the radio. Ah! <laughs> Suddenly, light shines on the duo. You realize I've seen these people before, I've seen them on the news. You're Dr. Fauci. <laughs> and that's Dr. Fauci's. That's do- that's a Fauci and Doctor Fauci goes. That's really, actually it's a doc. That's I'm Doctor Fauci and it's Doctor Fauci's monster. Uh, <laughs> it's a common of Doctor Fauci. I'm try- not the point here is not to be political. It's just to all right. I mean, it's I was tasked with the job of regenerating our uh, you know our leader, and uh, the job is not to be political. Right? Snacks his lips like that while he's talking. Ah. Oh my God! You've regenerated Donald Trump, and uh, he's he's even more powerful physically, but appears to have lost even more of his mental abilities. The monster just uh, he just sort of groans, and you hear him go, eh, "Pussy!" No, no, <laughs> no! It's horrifying. Don't vote for it. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't vote for it. <laughs> You're terrified. You're out of magical artifacts. There's no way to destroy him. He lurches forward. He goes, hey, come here a minute. The no. terrifying Fauci's monster, you know, the green, green regenerating liquid appears to ooze out of its body as it lurches forward, but it doesn't even 
notice that skin falls off the bone. Um, you know, it just it has this <laughs> urge to dance, dance and to smell and grab. You find yourself backed into a corner that suddenly, suddenly, you hear a crash through a large stained glass window. It's the motorcycle. There it is. How Howie Hawkins has returned. He he rides up on his uh, solar powered magical flying e bike. All right, listen, to this goddamn. I got just a second here. I got I can I can hold him off for one moment, but it's very important that you vote green, okay? So just for a moment, I my strength only lasts for so long. You look at him, you go, but you're not strong. How will you defeat Regeneron, Doctor Fauci's monster Trump? Well, the thing is, what we got here is called the Green Moon Deal, okay? And as he says, Green Moon Deal, you notice it's a full moon outside, and the window that he smashed through, (laughs) right? The moonlight shines in an eerie, eerie, just pale, faint green light. And as it as it shines, he lets out a great howl, and uh, his skin begins to turn, you know, begins to grow hair at an alarming rate. He uh, doubles in size. His shins and elbows stretch. His legs, his torso contorts into a terrifying, howling, barking creature. And suddenly you realize that he cannot no longer recognize you. He's just just sort of uh, begins to attack everything in his radius. And as he turns to sink his teeth into you, uh, Dr. Fauci's monster grabs him by the pussy he grabs him by because he ah. turns into a female werewolf all right um <laughs> oh wow yeah uh so hot you make it just past his right leg and into the vote the ancient sacred scroll booth as you approach it, it turns into a terrifying portal to hell of one million eyeballs screech and stare at you from inside of the red glowing terrifying black and orange and red and green swirling madness that comes out of the voting booth and then you put your scroll in it and uh as you as it eats up and swallows your scroll you uh, manage to climb out the stained glass window, and there's a single skeleton outside. It says, uh, oh, hey, you forgot. Uh, it's just, it gives you a sticker. And you say, thank you, skeleton. Uh, what was the point of all this? And he goes, well, there's not really much of a point, but you know, I guess you should do it anyway. It doesn't really matter. This is not a swing state. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's your right as an American yeah to do this this you get to be part of this you say thank you skeleton and that's the end of the story happy halloween everyone uh vote or don't vote i don't care and this is why i voted by mail because that was a lot to deal with just start to finish yeah this is the new voter suppression spooky remember when we met howie hawkins and we thought he had a chainsaw but it was just a bike like that alone would be a whole day of story for me, but all that stuff that happened after it was. Yeah. I mean, that is true. The green party just focused on the wrong things. 
Yeah. Oh, I forgot. It's Howlin' Howie Hawkins. That's why he's a werewolf. Oh, Howlin' Howie. Ah! <laughs> well, happy Halloween Hawkins, everybody. Happy Halloween Hawkins, everybody. Hey, happy Halloween Hawkins. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to this year's Halloween episode. Um, what we have now coming up next is an interview with Connor Habib, a fascinating thinker, writer, and sex worker from uh, the podcast Against Everyone with Connor Habib. I'm a big fan. Glad we got to talk to him about the occult a little bit um, as it relates to left politics and, uh, you know, and everything. Um, unfortunately, the sound is a little garbled. I don't know what happened. I don't know. Haunted podcast. It's just like every time. I try to do something fun on the show. Haunted podcast. It fucked up our sound. Enjoy. Ugh, happy Halloween. All right. Thanks, everybody. Habib from Against Everyone with Connor Habib. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it is, you're in Ireland, yeah? I'm in Ireland. Yes, I am. Yeah. We're in um, lock, our second lockdown, the harshest lockdown in Europe. Um, so it's great. I'm having a great time. Oh, top of the afternoon to you. <laughs> <laughs> is that afternoon over there? I have no, I never have any idea how this works. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little after two o'clock. Okay, cool, cool. Well, you've uh, it's ten a.m. here, so I'm I'm bright and fresh for this episode. I always have a different vibe when we do podcasts in the morning. This will be good. Um, yeah, it's good. as a Halloween episode because uh, for us, being up uh, at ten a.m. is like being in hell. So <laughs> truly terrifying. <laughs> yeah, the, that's this is a truly macabre experience cold brew, by the way for me um <laughs> oh, Andrew's just drinking his cold brew which we've I made discussed this, yeah. on twitter it's really easy to make i'm drinking and it looks like dark like halloween style it's it's a great <laughs> it looks dark halloween style, halloween style. <laughs> i made my coffee like the night for the holidays <laughs> black under the moon on a moonless night <laughs> as agent cooper would say mm-hmm well, Connor, I uh, I asked you to come on the show today because we got into an interesting internet conversation on Twitter.com, and it reminded me um, of, I guess, 
there might have been like an area of of study I've been neglecting that I have a little bit of interest in. And I've read a little bit about. So I enjoy your show a lot, and I enjoy you know following you on Twitter and re- reading the things that you write. And I've noticed that you have kind of um, a bit of a like a, a more positive outlook on spirituality and that sort of thing than a lot of the <laughs> left, uh, a lot of hardcore materialists. <laughs> And I guess I was tweeting the other day with Daniel Bessner about um, mm. about how he had this take that that there's sort of a right wing overlap with um, like New Ageism, and I agreed because to me it sort of seems like New Ageism is very individualistic, and you all you know you also kind of see um, an overlap with new age hippie stuff and like MLMs and also we've read a little bit on this show and talked a little bit on the show about how like some of the you know the proto libertarians like the Koch brothers school came out of like the church of theosophy and stuff like that and I did a little deep dive into reading weird rituals and stuff they do but it sounded like you had kind of a counterpoint to that which I (laughs) I probably don't disagree with (laughs) Um, I'm a pretty you know spooky leftist myself it's a big part of the show um but can you tell me a little bit um i guess about why maybe i was wrong about that yeah well that i mean so that came out of i think it was david parsons was it and who said that new new age and the right were uh sort of overlapping and then daniel concurred and i I like both those guys and um, I think they're both awesome. And I, you know, and obviously I like you too, Jake. I like um, you too, I, <laughs> but, I like Jake. <laughs> I'm myself. But I, I, um, yeah, it's just something, the only reason I stepped in to even do any kind of corrective at all was I've just seen this sort of rising narrative that uh, the occult and mysticism and new age stuff are all sort of uh, part of the right. And um, it's true that they are actually, but that also they have been uh, parts of if we want to say leftist, I mean, we might get into uh, some <laughs> argument about what actually uh, constitutes leftism, um, but it has been part of, you know, some leftist, some progressive, some socialist, um, some anarchist projects. And I think it, it just is a disservice to let the narrative just get taken that way. And, um, you know, it's since it's also part of the right, you know, do, do we continue to cede ground to that constantly and just let them have it? Or do we look at the places where in history it's worthwhile to investigate how, you know, important figures were informed by occultism and the new age movement, which I know a little less about new age than I do uh, occultism, or do we look into it ourselves and see what's valuable about it and try to, uh, you know, take what's good and also sort of liberate it from the bad stuff that it's, uh, you know, been mixed up in. So I think, obviously, I think it's important <laughs> to, to do the, the latter. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Something I think it's interesting that I've been uh, hearing you talk about on your show a bit is that we have, uh, you know, I mean, we're coming from a place of, of like, the materialist tradition, Marx being, you know, 
interpreted as heavily atheistic. Um, and then also in America, we have like this, this kind of repulsion to certain types of spirituality because they've been used so destructively. So we have like this new atheist movement that kind of, uh, most people I think listening to this show probably think that those people are pretty horrid. Uh, maybe, maybe not, but, um, there's like an overcorrection almost we're doing where mm-hmm. you don't realize that, you know, just being this, um, reductive about anything outside of materialism probably looks pretty odd to a large chunk of the rest of the world, which is heavily spiritual. And there's something mm-hmm. kind of, um, <laughs> there's something kind of arrogant about, you know, that like new age attitude of just like, ah, it's a bunch of, you know, it's like stupid hats or whatever the Dennis Leary joke is. It's all hats, you know? <laughs> um, and it's probably also kind of dismissive of like, of, some of our own history and how we got here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that's actually one of the best, um, that's one of the best sort of touch points to pay attention to in this argument is that uh, there's a way in which materialism very quickly turns into colonialism and imperialism. And you can see that quite clearly in the new atheist movement, which thankfully seems to have lost some of its foothold, but it kind of still exists in like a light way (laughs) and and just leftist discourse to begin with. And, you know, if you trace it back and sort of, um, leftist critique, you know, you get to people like Adorno and Horkheimer who, you know, Adorno wrote this book called Stars Down to Earth, which was a big critique of horoscopes and astrology, which is funny. I mean, in which he keeps saying, I don't really know that much about this. Um, <laughs> like he says it several times, this is beyond the scope of my knowledge and my, and the information I have available, but you understand why they did it. Like they did it. It completely makes sense because they're coming out of world war two. They're seeing how, um, mystification, occultism, all that kind of stuff was used by the, the Nazis. And so um, it, it's, it's weird that they, you know, really respected Walter Benjamin, who actually did incorporate a lot of that stuff into yeah. his theorizing. But um, <clears throat> the, the weird thing is they sort of take it just as, okay, well, this was how Hitler and certain Nazis, that's just how they controlled people. There was nothing really to it except the brainwashing aspect of it. So they didn't really take it seriously. They just saw it as a system of control, and that's why they were dismissing it. Um, and you get why. But I think, you know, you have um, – and so you have this void that's created because um, – there's this place in the left that I think is always sort of searching for a kind of meaning. And so you find people trying to shore that up with different systems. So whether it's, you have someone like Zizek who would maybe not call himself the leftist anymore, but he's trying to shore it up with like Lacan and Freud and that sort of thing to be like, well, this is how we can understand meaning. Um, And so you see actually a lot of leftists trying to force Freud and Marx together, like after Adorno, but they're trying to remedy it. Um, I think Wilhelm Reich actually did it a lot better and he <laughs> he was sort of outcast like occultists were in his own way as well. But but so you have this gap in meaning and I think a lot of people end up turning away from leftist projects because they sense that there's that things get reducible to a kind of materialism that leaves them wanting. And so um 
that's why I think a lot of there's a lot of cl- class versus ID poll like kind of stuff as well because people aren't finding the kind of meaning that they want in something that looks much more like a you know more more sort of simple sorry simple is not the word but a socio uh, or sorry a p- political and economic critique that leaves out uh, cultural concerns so anyway that's a big uh, <laughs> that's a big sort of trace back but just to say um, we could have been infusing the left with a sense of spirituality a sense of ritual and the occult and all that kind of stuff if there hadn't been such a backlash, which again is understandable, but we have to sort of build up from that point now, you know? Yeah. I, I think that um, the word meaning is probably a lot more palatable to people and it probably does also a very good job of describing what we're lacking right now, because it doesn't literally have to be like, you know, a God or like a fictional thing. I mean, I, to me as you know, just an individual person kind of observing all this and observing my own path in life in terms of moving from, you know, thing to thing to thing that sort of occupied the center of my life. Um, I mean, I, th- I feel like I was into that young atheist shit when I was a teenager because it was appealing because I came up in the South and, you know, that the mm-hmm. Christianity down there was pretty horrid, you know? And, um, I see. I feel like it wouldn't be a stretch to a lot of people that have been involved in stand-up comedy to look at that and go, <laughs> "Did you get into that in your early twenties when you were lost and had no community and no fucking social circle and no thing, no ritual to do every night?" You know. Um, I guess my my take on this is that religion and aesthetic movements and all sorts of things occupy the same space because what we're living in is a time when you have a great emptiness in your life and you know it can even be i mean you're looking at like yeah this ultra materialist left well why is so much of it online and why is so much of it you know this thing that you you wake up and you check every day and suddenly you feel like you're part of something even though you don't go out and organize it or whatever you know um and, and also, how did the Proud Boys come about? Come up, come about, right? Um, it's, to me, it always seemed like Gavin McGinnis just happened upon a bunch of young men who had a big lack of meaning in their life. Right. And you know, the, to, to me, the answer to this seems to be we got to figure out a way to fill this space with something better because you know, simply just having the right information right now is not a good way to like organize people because people are not robots and they don't just naturally come together because we all, you know, figured out, Oh, the right thing to vote on or whatever. Right. And this, I was thinking about this because uh, last week we talked about uh, capital on the show. And uh, in many ways it's a very like economistic text and Marxism has uh, definitely been accused of being too economistic. Um, the economicon. <laughs> yeah, but if you look at like you know his earlier writings, there there's some more uh, some more romance there, and some you know stuff about human nature and like uh, which is a whole can of worms what human nature really means. But something I always was kind of like creeped out by was like anti-humanism uh, from like the seventies, where um, and and I understand I think I understand why why it's necessary on some level because to understand capitalism, you really have to you know 
use that framework of like uh, economism and everything's just, you know, we're treated as if we're vessels for, for labor and capital. And it's just like this sort of objective view of uh, a, a system that is ultimately a subjective system. And, um, you know, I think the goal that kind of gets lost in a lot of this is like Marx uh, and Marxists want people ultimately to be free from these things and to be like, you, you want people to have uh, creative impulses that they follow and, and, you know, cultural practices and stuff. But I think sometimes uh, the, the understanding is like, that's going to happen once we achieve like communism or socialism <laughs> right, or whatever, right. then we can start to, you know, I, I think his words were like history can begin. Uh, but, but there's a lot of stuff leading up to that. Um, where we kind of need cultural practice and we need like cognitive, um, you know, stuff that doesn't necessarily make objective sense. And we need to have like fun and be weird and, and, you know, have, have things that, um, I sort of provoked being weird yeah. <laughs> into just being an, a, a real freak. Um, <laughs> no, it's the building stuff. No one wants to do. Right. Cause if you look at like the role religion, serves historically the one of the main things uh is community it gives you a place to go every now and then it gives you an in-group and um as much as the impulse especially at least i, I can speak to like the american left for uh, uh in terms of religion what you want to do is take things and then knock them down right see like i was told this and i know that's not true and that has a certain value to it but if you look at who's profited the most from the like destruction of religious communities it's the neoliberal project right totally yeah because yeah. they can get you alone and sell you shit <laughs> And so that, I mean, if, if our role historically is like, uh, is building something in contrast to that, that means you, you kind of have to do the opposite work. Um, you have to just stop telling people they're wrong and start having something to offer, which is not fun at all to do. And I understand why we're having such a hard time with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was also, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, you know, two things there. It's why you find some of the most sort of impressive and exciting revolutionary movements where people have some kind of theology or spiritual belief, you know, behind what they're doing, whether it's in India or whether it's in, you know, various uh, South American countries with liberation <clears throat> theology, whatever it might be. So, you know, it, because it's harder to sell people shit when already there's like a current of meaning that's going through their lives. And I think, you know, I know we'll probably get to Sylvia Federici at some point on, on this show, but it's, it's one of the main problems I have with, she has this quote, which in some ways is really great. I'm going to mess up the quote, but it's something like, we need to find out what is work so we can then determine what is love, you know? And it's like, that sounds great, but you really want to wait that fucking long? Like, it's not, <laughs> we're, we're trying to deal with the problems of love now as well. And so the constant deferral, which you were just bringing up is like, it doesn't work because all those forces are all in play and we've got to sort them all out. And we also can't really know what, you know, like we could just as easily reverse that, you know, that statement. So, you know, it's not like you can just sort of separate things out. That's an illusion. And that's largely a materialistic and object illusion brought by a certain form of thinking about science of objective materialistic science. Like we can just set, just pull this part out, you know, but it doesn't, 
it, it doesn't work that way. You don't ever have just pure, uh, like pure labor to look into like that. You can think about it um, and you can theorize about it, but when we look at it and culture just is not possible the same way as, you know, you could probably create water out of, you know, H2O in a lab, but anywhere in the world, water has tons of stuff in it. You don't find pure water. So it's the same thing. I mean, so you can't keep kicking that can down the road just to hope you get the economic piece right. It doesn't work. Yeah, I think there's a big aversion to any cultural component of a left movement because the neoliberal, you know, center, whatever the fuck you want to call it, uses culture so cynically as a cudgel against us that you know we've mm -hmm. sort of developed this new anti-cultural anti-representation anti-woke anti-whatever the fuck they want to call it um you know id poll and all that anti-id poll that sort of crap um and it's i mean fuck i don't even want to go down that road talking about it because it's just such a stupid thing online to talk about right now but i think that what's happening in that is probably throwing the baby out with the bathwater a little bit because um you know i don't know i guess i'm thinking about that emma goldman quote where she's talking about like dancing being part of the revolution and you know i don't remember exactly how she says it but she says that if it's not then i don't want to do this shit or something i don't know um <laughs> that's, that's a that's an exact quote yeah, yeah. she says call me call me when it's dance time yeah that's what she <laughs> says. um and also i think probably because um i i don't know it seems so tragic to me because so much of what we make in america is cultures but i think maybe there's this thing where since we make so much of it and it's so flimsy and cheap and ineffectual then we're sort of looking at um at anything in that vein as being like useless but um another thing i, t I think about a lot on, especially on my other show i have another show called why you mad i do with my friend who's an art historian and we talk a lot about um something that is a little bit anti-materialistic which is um the, so the first part of the equation i guess would be the base informing the art and culture and the superstructure but there's also i think you know the loop that comes back around that people on the left are a little bit averse to which is that you know i mean stuff in the superstructure then does inform back in a lot of ways and um there there is kind of a, 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 like a power there that I think that we just sort of neglect as leftists because it's not by the, you know, the orthodox book or whatever. And, um, and then I guess no one really knows how to do it right now uh, because we're just these, you know, these soulless sort of cynical, like, you know, I'm avoiding for the fucking word, but like dirtbag left, you know, sort of people that, um, sort of almost like worship a meaninglessness and it's it just didn't it didn't work you know it seems like it's not fucking working and it also seems like it doesn't make you a happy whole person which i guess also is part of you know not like every single thing that you think about in your life is the revolution right i mean there's also just existence um gets kind of neglected um but let's talk a little bit i guess about we should talk about Feder, uh, Federici's Caliban and the Witch. Uh, I've, I'm aware of it. I've never actually read it. It's on my list, but it's something I noticed that you talk about a little bit because I guess I'm to understand that there's this sort of identifying in that book. Um, it's a Marxist feminist book about um, 
the Salem witch trials are a thing that's identified as, I think I'm getting this right, which is that the, the idea of accusing people of witchcraft was just an expression of accusing people of not being productive or, or scapegoating people that weren't integrated into the productive process. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I feel like you've talked a little bit about how you think that that analysis throws out the fact that there was actually a spiritual thing going on there. Can you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's always what I say. Like, you know, it's also about witches. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the thing that, that's the thing that's always sort of bothered me. And she has similar ways of talking about sex work, which also is my, my other area where, where like a lot of my activism for the past, you know, decade has been. So, I mean, I think, you know, just sort of broadly to take up what she does in a lot of her work, and it's not just Caliban and the Witch, but she reduces witchcraft to spiritual, or to, uh, <laughs> it's funny that I, my slip, but she reduces witchcraft to political economy. And it's just not that simple. And I think, um, you know, we have, the, my problem with that is not that it's not an interesting angle. So I actually would take her as someone that's doing, original and thoughtful work and scholarship on the angle that she has, where she's trying to figure out the contours of political economy that surround uh, accusations of witchcraft and executing witches and how certain people function um, as, and represent being non-productive in a certain kind of economy. And so, you know, it's interesting to point out the ways that the rise of capitalism coincides with witch trials and that kind of stuff. And I think that the problem is when you do that to the, not to say it's class reductive, but when you do that to the, plate, to the point that you end up excluding the other values and the interesting things that you can look at there, you end up losing a lot of the 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 tactics the philosophies the strategies the knowledge the wisdom the information that can come from people who were oppressed in the first place so that's the same way i feel about sex work actually as as soon as it gets reduced down into sex work is work i mean that's really necessary that's a necessary rallying cry i don't want to stray too far into sex work i know you guys have already done a pretty actually good show on that no ah, thanks but, thanks yeah <laughs> Caleb, but i think it, it you you know you, you end up losing all the things that sex workers have to offer the political discourse at all so i think it's it's less her and more what people have taken from her to move on with and more the way that it's built up. I mean, in the same way, like that there was this whole group of feminists for a while that were always saying, you know, this was misogyny. You kill the witches because of misogyny. But of course it's not that simple. Like a lot of the people who accused the witches were um, uh, people of witchcraft. In fact, a huge amount were women accusing women of witchcraft. There were uh, men who were killed, all that kind of stuff. So you can all bundle that into patriarchy if you want, but it's just simply not historically reducible to these kinds of currents. It doesn't form fit. And so what you have to do is actually look into the values of the people that you're talking about. It's one of the reasons why I think some, someone like David Graeber was so important 
um, someone like David. There's just David Graeber. There's not a ton of people like him, but David Graeber is so important. And anthropologists in general are so important because they're asking questions of value. They're not trying to reduce things. Well, some anthropologists do, but they're not trying to reduce things into mere questions of political economy. But why does this have value to you? What is? How does witchcraft function in your life? How does magic... Um, give you an ontology? How do you look at the world because this is a practice? And once you do that, you start seeing that, well, witches have different, I- at that time period, but also now, might have different ideas about time, might have different ideas about how reality works, might have different ideas of um, where politics come from, how it functions, all that kind of stuff. And you can start really drawing value and valuable lessons when you start listening to people in a basic act of solidarity rather than just trying to dominate them by fitting them into the thing that you already believe in. So that's the thing that really always bothers me about that. Yeah. Right. How much, you know, you don't want to erase the part of the narrative. There's, there is a part that's misogyny against witches. There's a part that's, uh, uh, disciplining, you know, the labor community, uh, around you, but there's also a part that's legitimate fear of being turned into a newt. Yeah, well, those fears were real, right? I mean, even if we can look at them and go, that was ridiculous, you know, magic is not uh, real in that sense or whatever. The fact that the fear is real plays into what was going on in those people's human minds, you know? And uh, it's easy with uh, all of our computers and devices to look back on all that sort of shit and go, oh, that was, you know, silly. That person didn't realize that, you know, things weren't operating exactly that way. But it's just people with tools in the woods and at a scary new place, you know, um, coming to the exact same conclusions that you would if you were, you know. Just a little well, have you ever been high in the woods? I get scared of all kinds of <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have to, I mean, it, it's trickier than that. I mean, because it's not just that people don't understand because they don't have the devices. I mean, you really do have to start to ask questions of yourself about whether or not you are acting out of, a, you know, an imperialist or colonial mindset when you start evaluating these things. I mean, in the past few decades there's been this whole thing about sex thieves in multiple countries in africa where like someone will shake your hand and then your your penis will disappear or your vagina will disappear it's actually but see what, one of the reasons i'm bringing this up <laughs> has an effect on people because i have all the penises in my house now no but <laughs> stolen penis collection no i but because um so someone does that and then the person cries out this person has stolen my penis and then they get lynched in the street very often there are court cases around it there's all this right and we can think oh that's so backwards they're so stupid so do we really want to do that or do we want to have a question about why why people think that people in african countries are stupid right you have to ask that question and and then, but further than that, you want to ask, okay, but what can I learn here? I mean, we're in a time where people think, are, are, are terrified of communicating disease. Um, and in some cases, what we would consider hysterical about communicating disease when shaking hands or in situations that might be safer than others and some are less safe and all that kind of stuff. What can we learn from actually listening to and talking about the value of of disease, of fear of dying, of blaming the other, all that kind of stuff. There's so much that we could get if we listened in a 
in a a real principle of solidarity and said, okay, I don't, I have no idea how that would work. That can't really fit into the way that I view the world, but um, I'm actually just going to put that aside right now and listen, you know, that's what people who are trying to do field work, you know, ethnographic stuff that they will really try to do that. If they're good anthropologists that, you know, they'll, they'll try their best. Can I just Wait. ask a clarifying question about the sex thieving stuff? <laughs> um, you if you steal it, where does it go? Like, do you have to? It just disappears. It just disappears. Yeah. So, okay. There's like a whole realm if you accidentally wander into it on your portal <laughs> adventures. <laughs> oh my God. Phantom zone, but for dicks. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> you don't want to open up that door to somebody. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, I, I am like a, almost a lifelong agnostic because I feel like there's just no, no possible way uh, any human being could know uh, what there is, if there is a God, what God is, etc. cetera. Uh, and I kind of feel the same way about science. And I feel like most scientists probably do too. Like they, you know, if, if you press them enough, they'll say like, this is only a study of things we can prove and we know, and there's, we can't, there's no way we can know everything. There's, you know, infinite, uh, an infinite amount of things that are unknowable. Um, and that also applies to the physical world that we live on uh, here on earth and you know there's it's only a measure of the stuff we can see um so i don't know i feel like we should be open to the possibility of other stuff we just can't explain being out there and just being kind of okay with that uh i mean i and i say this as i'm loath to admit this but um i I, you know I, i believe in medicine and i don't think people should rely on this stuff if they have like cancer or whatever but homeopathy has helped me with certain things i don't i can't tell you how it works uh i wouldn't necessarily even recommend it but i i can go on an airplane now without getting a sinus headache because of i think because of homeopathy maybe not i don't know um, what did you do did you I do just needles took, no i just took i have the needles but i just took uh, some pellets and then they cleared up my um my sinuses uh but with like mm-hmm. witchcraft and this is a serious question it sounds kind of wacky but like it, back in the day or sometimes now is it possible that there were actual things that we would consider impossible or magic that these people uh were doing yeah so it's a great I mean, I like that you asked that question because it actually just sort of cuts to the heart of the matter. I mean, we can dance around things all we want and be like, well, there's value in other cultures and listening to people and all that, which is what I was doing because you need that bridge, first of all. But like the real question is like, um, okay, but like is magic real you know (laughs) yeah this question and i mean the homeopathy thing the homeopathy thing is really interesting um and i'll I'll maybe use that as a way to sort of get into it because you know they've done uh there have been a lot of trials on homeopathy some which have really good results and some which don't yeah but you know a lot of homeopaths if you talk to them so the homeopath is when you take the diluted, just for people that don't know, it's not because people use that and the term nat- naturopath um, interchangeably, but they're right. not interchangeable. Homeopathy is when you dilute a substance um, down so far that it, ba- it basically doesn't even exist anymore um, by measurable terms. And you put it on a, like a pellet or 
a globule or whatever, and then you put those on your tongue and the sort of resonance of the thing that you took the, the, the remedy from is supposed to create a certain effect in the body. Um, and I've had good, I've had good experiences with homeopathy and stuff that just did nothing. So, you know, and, um, and, but one of the things about homeopathy is it's highly individualized. Um, and it's, it's very difficult to have sort of repeatable results because one of the principles is that, well, we do know some general stuff and we can apply some remedies generally, but the dosing um, matters, the life history of the person matters, all these physical, mental, emotional, historical components of the person's life matters. So it's going to be hard to just to do the same kinds of tests, right? So what you have to do is then move into a complete completely different set of theorizing. This is where it gets really like confusing. Um, I think, I don't know if you guys have read, so Kathy Weeks, the anti-work Marxist feminist has this great book called um, Constituting Feminist Subjects. People know her mostly from her book about her like anti-work book, um, The Problem with Work. But she has this whole thing where she breaks down like when Foucault showed up and uh, how there was all this, struggle between the modern and the postmodern then. And she's like, these arguments are just still with us and they're so horrible and boring and ineffective <laughs> because what's trying, what people are doing is like the modernists were trying to constantly pull Foucault into the modern framework and be like, well, we judge you based on the standards that we already have and therefore you suck. And the postmodern people who like Foucault were like, no, no, he represents a completely new paradigm. So you can only judge him by like his own work. And none of them ever settled anything between each other at all. So basically, Kathy Weeks' point is like, we have to be able to just sort of listen to people in solidarity through this thing called feminist standpoint theory, where we actually just listen to the terms of a completely different reality. So, it, so, <laughs> so yes, so really... Um, really crazy things happen because of magic, because of occultism, things that are, that seem completely beyond. Um, and there might not be a bridge for understanding, but there's also no way to pull it into a system that can dominate it and just explain it away either. Mm -hmm. So that clash is always going to be present. And we can see that clash in our own lives if you don't want to do it like, well, I don't believe in hocus pocus because I, you know, am a Marxist Leninist. Um, it's its own it's kind of hocus pocus, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Marx and Marx and Lenin are real. But, the you, the but then, you, but the, if you want to do that, you can say, "Well, I've had these kinds of conflicts elsewhere in my life. How did I overcome them?" You know. So I think it's—I um, think you just have to. That—that's the first way to do. It. But I would just say, yeah, it's—it's it's absolutely real. I mean, I can—I can talk about some examples. But they're not really going to help because if I tell you, well, so-and-so saw an angel and another person, you know, you know, had super strength after casting this spell and blah, blah, blah. You're going to be like, no matter what I say, unless you are able to either listen or you're in that paradigm yourself, you're just not going to believe it. So it doesn't matter. I'll so that's why I brought up the standpoint theory, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's I interesting because I... Me. I think, like, I just got this book, uh, a coffee table book, great coffee table book of uh, sea monsters um, but from this, like, Norwegian cartographer, you know, hundreds, almost like a thousand years ago. And it's like, there's stuff that people have uh, looked at since and said, oh, that's this fish. That's this 
seal that's this whale. Uh, but there's another stuff that's just totally fantastical, like uh, like an island that turns out to be a monster and stuff like that. Uh, and some of them, some of the real things, like an oarfish, I didn't even know this existed. Just like it's a serpent. It's just a fucking serpent, you know. Like that's a, you gave it a name and studied it and stuff. But you know, who's to say this this other shit didn't also exist and go extinct? Um, and you know, it's take like Marco Polo, who has been accused of exaggerating stuff. Maybe he did uh, on some level, but well, it's interesting because the things he's accused of exaggerating are like his own personal role in, in if importance yeah. in China, but he's not uh, really six two. <laughs> that part is a lie right at yeah. the top. <laughs> but he did, but the, I don't think anybody questioned uh, when he said he saw somebody levitate. They're all like, oh, you can do that in China. Okay. So it's like... They got all kinds of Chris Angels over there. <laughs> the power of belief through objective um, experience and, like, science is always changing and, like, is uh, going back and forth uh, with how fantastical it gets because the things that we can, like, invent are now even crazier than levitation, you know? Yeah. Uh, so then I think uh, I want to kind of touch back on when you were talking about the sex thieves thing, it's kind of interesting and, and our, like our standpoint when we talk about that sort of thing and we, uh, you know, we think, Oh, that that's ridiculous. And I would never hold such a belief in my, you know, fancy modern American life or whatever. Um, it kind of reminds me of like when people talk about how crazy indoctrinated North Korea is and don't realize that like, you know, at an American football game, it's fucking, you know, the, the blue angels are flying over and there's American flags everywhere and everyone's worshiping. It's the same thing. Right. Um, well, with superstition and things like that or whatever the fuck you want to you word you want to use to reduce that sort of thing um i guess i've been thinking a lot lately about um like the 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 part around calvin and the witch and that era that the time when we were like sort of we when when people were expanding across america and living in the woods and stuff like that because a lot of strange belief and like magical thinking occurred in the wilderness and during this period where there was a vast amount of space that uh you could sort of project meaning onto right and um i know you've read this book occult america that i also read a long time ago that you talk about on your show a little bit and it talks that book talks about um you know the right the spiritualism of the uh you know the early american project and also um you know the rise of sort of things that are now rooted in like new age, like the church of theosophy and also, um, you know, Crowley and fucking, you know, where fortune telling came from. All this comes from a certain time in America, right? Well, back then there were these big empty woods for us to sort of project, uh, all these ideas onto. And now we're looking at, you know, maybe someone doing it in another country and, and thinking it's, it's like silly and it's, uh, it's, conflicting with what we think we've identified as you know these physical limits of what can happen but i guess what i'm building towards is i think that the new wilderness is the internet because when you look at conspiratorial thought elsewhere and you go well that's ridiculous you're sort of forgetting that back here you know we've sort of gotten into this crazy thing where the, the empty space the new wilderness the new woods the new darkness that you can project onto is just the vast you know yeah. unending space of the internet and that's how you get like QAnon and conspiracy theories and people believing that 
you know, their political enemies are, you know, we've talked about with Talia Levin right. a while back, like digging tunnels and you know, off to something or whatever. So we're, we're human being is the same, you know, thing as it was back then and as it is in other places. So uh, the idea that you have sort of moved past this need to even understand that your mind kind of has limits and also makes assumptions about the things outside of its limits is um, arrogant and you know it's just not true stealing people's penises with a handshake that's insane but whenever i disagree with someone online they are a computer in russia and i can prove it to you <laughs> if you read these three articles it's obvious <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think that that normalization technique that you just did is really important because what it means is that you're able to just sort of look back on your own culture and be like well we have our own version of this you know the, the, the next step in that, I think, is saying is sometimes you use it to dismiss yourself or the other side as well. And, and it might be good to sort of look into both equally. Do you know what I mean? So, like, so there's something implicit in the way that you just said it that means that you're both false, not that either side could be true about what they were saying. Now, I do think that the Russian bot thing is completely I mean, just overblown and stupid. And I've done, you know, an episode of my show on that long time ago with Robbie Martin. But I think it's like, you know, we don't have the evaluative lens to like pull apart what's real and what's not real with a lot of this stuff, especially when it comes to occult stuff. And so you have the QAnon thing. Like if you want to trace that back to say the satanic panic, you know, where in the 80s, people thought that in daycares and, you know, in suburban communities, people were being, kids were being kidnapped and had their skin ripped off and, you know, killed in ritual abuse. Well, of course, there's historical precedent for that kind of stuff. Governments do kill kids. Churches do kill kids. I mean, we do ritually sacrifice people with automatically piloted drones all the fucking time, Right. right for an ideology. So it's not like that's so completely beyond the pale, but we don't know how to separate the instances when it's real and when it's not because we've largely dismissed the possibility of someone looking into this with a spiritual lens. In France, in like rural France, there are these figures, and, and also uh, yeah, I talk about this on my episode with Tom, Tom Waters, who wrote this book called Cursed Britain and talked about how there's all this witchcraft that people think witchcraft has gone away in the UK, but actually it's still present in so many ways. But this one figure that keeps coming up is a de-witcher or someone who can basically read um, witchcraft legibly in culture, can understand the moves that it makes and determine like, well, this is a hoax. This is real. This is how I would help you with this. This is how like you need to just let go of this thing. But we don't have that figure anymore. So, um, and one of the reasons is why, why we don't have that figure is because the whole enterprise is completely dismissed. So people aren't actually invited in to read it legibly and understand what's true and what's not anymore. And so you have QAnon and it's like, they're saying all these things and obviously ethically and morally, they're completely incoherent because they don't care about any kids other than ones that get killed in, you know, ping pong pizza parlor whatever <laughs> they don't care about any other kids in the world getting killed so obviously they don't give a fuck like they're just on some weird obsessive proof finding mission but but you, <laughs> but 
that doesn't mean that no kids have been ritually abused and killed. So but who the hell would ever be qualified to tell you, right? And, and it's another thing that I get from my understanding of sex work communities. It's like, as a sex worker, I can really easily separate apart the bullshit stories about human trafficking, sex trafficking, and the ones that are and the ones that might have something to them, because I know how much of that sex trafficking narrative is phony and relies on equating sex work with sex trafficking. But that's because I've been in it for a really long time and I'm able to, the culture around that, the narratives around that are legible to me. So when it comes to spiritual stuff, when it comes to occultism and new age stuff, who's able to read? I mean, I think you know, the guy who wrote America, Mish Horowitz, who's also been on my show, he, he's pretty good. He's really good at sort of reading it. And, you know, he's a scholar of new age stuff and he practices, you know, new age and new thought um, practices. And he has really good and damning critiques of people that are like, well, you know, sorry, I know, like, I, I know you had a bad year and everybody in your family died of cancer and, uh, you know, you, you, you're poor, but that's your fault because you just didn't think positive thoughts, you know? <laughs> so that's when people condemn new age, they're like, yeah, that's what new age thinks. But then you have people like Mitch, you have some other people, even to some extent, Marion Williamson, I think, who are like, no, that's actually not true. That's not how it works. But you didn't bother asking us because you're just using the worst representatives of this to, you know, uh, represent, you know, what, what this whole thing is about. So we need people that we need to allow the people who can actually make legible, you know, these narratives to have some place in culture. I mean, I'm not just saying that to pitch myself, but we <laughs> need people that can do that. That's always a pitch. <laughs> always a pyramid scheme. No, uh, no, you're totally right. I mean, uh, I'm a, I'm a uh, certain type of comic, so I guess I can't help but attack things in a negative way, and that's uh, <laughs> obviously very reductive. And also, obviously, something you've mentioned in your show a bit that I think is pretty interesting that's right in front of us we don't think about very much is that magical thinking is uh, in the center of our culture. Great way to understand that is to watch the president being sworn in on a Bible, you know, and look at just <laughs> religion that's just accepted that uh, is nothing but magical thinking. Um, and also, okay, so I guess I, that's part one. Of Kamala Harris's Masonic police force I mean, that, that kind of shit and the Reagans using psychics, I mean, that's all public record and mainstream news. Right, so we right. don't have to like even stray from the, <laughs> we have to stray from the path too far or even do any interpretive things. I mean, some of it just looks really weird from the outset, like a bunch of people touching a glowing fucking orb. That's weird. <laughs> Very cool. But like even the stuff that's just explicitly that. occult or spiritual, you know? Um, but anyway, sorry. Just to, heard, well, I'm curious about the, I've heard about this Masonic police force, but can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I was going to ask. <laughs> I don't really know that much about it, to be honest. It's like there were there were a bunch of news stories. Um, a few people were arrested as part of a vigilante group um, in California, and they said that they belonged to a three thousand year old um, <laughs> Masonic group, and they were and they were connected to Kamala Harris. It's called, it's called the K Hive. They had a big <laughs> Masonic K-Hive. And so, um, and then one of them died. At, like before everything started going to trial, one of them died. So the whole thing is really, 
bizarre. And, and that's just like, I don't know if it's like U.S. News and World Report or whatever, but these are just mainstream, you know, yeah. you know, klutzy papers that you can read about in. Wow. Wow. Um, one thing I wanted to circle back to, I guess, is um, the Church of Theosophy, because I don't know that much about it. And like I said, I did, uh, you know, a little bit of research and mostly kind of, uh, you know, roasted it because I'm a comic and talked a little <laughs> bit about its connections to the worlds of libertarian politics and stuff like that. But do you know um, anything more positive that, that is connected to the Church of Theosophy? Can you enlighten me a little bit to that world? Yeah, I mean, there's so much. So, like, the Theosophists, for instance, introduced Gandhi to the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> so that's pretty major, I would say. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> Henry Wallace, who was vice president um, yeah. under FDR, was a Theosophist. And, uh, you know, whether you think of him as a leftist or not, he ran on the Progressive Party ticket afterwards and had a lot of progressive, um, you know, progressive agendas. And he was you know, had a weird relationship with communism, but wasn't completely antagonistic to it, I wouldn't say. I'm not a Henry Walls expert, though, so... I think, from what I understand, the uh, he had... <laughs> he, he was uh, sort of what liberals accused Trump of being, a, a, a uh, in cahoots with Putin. He, there was some relationship there with him uh, and the Soviet Union at the time. So That's, Trump is the reincarnation of Henry Wallace. Yes. It's oh, yeah. <laughs> right in front of us the whole time. Um, but, you know, the, and theosophists are, it's a very complex, it's a very complex system, theosophy is, and it's influenced a lot of people throughout time, and some of them are bad and some of them are good, and that's pretty much it, you know. I mean, I, I think, <clears throat> you know, my main person is my main sort of occult headquarters, this guy, Rudolf Steiner, who... Oh, part of Waldorf. Yeah. Sorry. Waldorf education, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting right now, there's a really big sort of public smear campaign of Rudolf Steiner and anthroposophy, which some of it is worth investigating and some of it is just total bullshit. Um, and it started with people not wanting who send their kids to Waldorf schools, not wanting to vaccinate their kids. Um, and Waldorf school is like something that Rudolf Schneider started. But anyway, I'm just talking about him as someone, he was not a theosophist. In fact, he was part of the theosophical society, but basically swore all of theosophy off in some sense. There were just some overlap um, in some of the ideas that came out of it. Um, so, but you know, like, it's just another great example. You know, some, some, Rudolf Steiner died before World War II, but some Nazis were interested in anthroposophy. So people would say, oh, well, that's, that's not, that's Nazism. Those are just Nazis are into, you know, blah, blah. But like, then you look again and it's like, wow, a lot of anthroposophists were smuggling Jewish people <laughs> out um, of Germany, like away from the Nazis. And actually Himmler had a, a file on them, on anthroposophists in general that said that they were, um, oh gosh, it was, uh, that they would ultimately destroy the national socialist agenda if given, uh, if given the ability to, or the money and that they were the like, uh, inevitable opponents of nazism mm -hmm. so wow you have this you have all these like condemnations so i'm sure there are theosophists i mean i didn't know the ones you were talking about you said something about them trying to curse fdr and that that might be true there might be some that were doing that but on the other hand 
there were ones that were doing the exact opposite work because you can't just contain the you know occultism you can't just contain it in the practices of its worst actors in the same way that you wouldn't want to do that with marxism for sure you know yeah like christianity right exactly yeah okay all right fair I, this is all starting to make a lot more sense to me in that uh, being kind of reductive about any of these things as being one-sided or having a left or right political agenda is kind of silly because they're sort of big neutral avatars, just things to view the world through. Um, well, I guess to kind of round this out, can you, I guess, just tell us a little bit about your personal experience with the occult and how it's uh, been a positive effect on your life? <laughs> yeah um well got me a lamborghini now um i <laughs> uh yeah i mean for me i grew up with no religion in my life so i was not predisposed to any kind of religious belief and yet i was always really interested in um religious but more philosophical questions that related to religion and reality and all that kind of stuff as i got older um you know i had that kind of i think a lot of people have some interest in these kinds of questions when they're doing hallucinogenic drugs that kind of stuff absolutely <laughs> but it was never totally satisfying to me but you do have to ask i mean hallucinogenic drugs are pretty good medicine for materialism because you do it and you're like what the fuck you know like and you start having all these sorts of strange questions about your experience for me the real profound questions come from um phenomenology which is just to say when you start looking at your experience it's fucking weird like it's really weird and when you stop trying to separate your experience from the rest of the material world things get very strange when you stop saying well there's the objective world it's all just stuff but my experience is you know something it's just like illusory or whatever i mean there's no evidence for that that's just such a stupid theory that people like daniel dennett and other dumbasses come up with but you have this like you know when when you start asking yourself real questions like what are my thoughts like how do i how do i contend with that isn't it weird that i can't see my face but everybody else can like that's a total mind fuck like what you know why do why are thoughts and feelings feel different to me and so the occult at its best does a lot to help you engage with that through exercises and through practices and when you start doing that and this is the main point of talking about this on a political comedy podcast which is you know my politics can start from the question what is the human being so it's not starting from an abstraction it's not starting from a place that doesn't really have any ground except an idea it's starting from a question of what is the human being and i'm the thing that i have to investigate here and then my politics start to unfold from there and you see people throughout history who have done that whether it's i mean we have helen keller is a great example who's like everybody's like no one knows helen keller was a socialist and even less people know that she was like basically an occultist she wrote a whole book about this mystic who changed her life emmanuel swedenborg um, or Victoria Woodhull and Ida Craddock, who were, were, you know, feminists, or, 
you know, the white, the white rose um, group who resisted Hitler, who were influenced by oh, Rudolf Steiner or I read about them a long you know, time whatever. Ago. I mean, Pascal Beverly Randolph, who was a friend of, who was, believed, who practiced sex magic and advised Lincoln to free, <laughs> free the slaves. So you have this whole, like, you know, you have this whole history and it's, I think a lot of times from people just simply wanting to understand their experience more, wanting to not reduce things down to a political economy because understanding in some sense that there's a real abstraction there that doesn't fit, um, that leaves too big a gap um, in the understanding of how things work to just get the things done that are necessary. For me, it leads me to questions that are really important. And, you know, there's a great thing that Rudolf Steiner says, I'm going to get it wrong, but like the way he says it, but it's something like, you know, if we practice this, we will get to the point where we look upon another human being and as soon as they're suffering, we feel their suffering. It is not just that we intellectually perceive it, but actually we experience their suffering. And you could not help but be what we would call a leftist, but in a much deeper sense, if that were happening to you, right? And I think to um, myself intellectually, it's helped me in that way, but also experientially, it's helped me just understand the world differently. It's helped me have a, a compassion for other people, which makes me a better organizer. You know, when when I see that someone's in a completely different reality because they have gone down their cuckoo QAnon path or, you know, they, they're starting to slide towards just, you know, being a neoliberal tech bro or whatever, I, it's much easier for me to spot the organizing points with them. Um, it helped me in my sex worker activism work because there's so many deep divisions between what version of politics sex workers should align themselves with, whether it's libertarianism or socialism or anarchism, or if they just want, I mean, there aren't that many of these, just want legalization or whatever. And it was like, okay, but I need to stand in the center and I need to serve all these people without being a centrist. So how do I do that? You know, right. um, and, and bring together to get real work done and then, and then move to process through the other issues. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, you're asking me a question and unfortunately, like, I'm not going into all the ways in which that happened through practice and through contemplation. Um, and we could maybe do that too, but just to say that it has, you know, I remember after discovering anthroposophy, which I did through science, because I went to grad school for science as well as writing. And I studied with actually, sorry, this is a little throwback to something you guys were saying before, I forget who said it, but what real scientists think. I studied with one of the most uh, respected scientists in the world, this woman, Lynn Margulies, um, who developed the Gaia theory with James Lovelock and uh, proved that cells with organelles are symbioses of bacteria and other organisms. But she, she, you know, once I asked her about angels and she just said, that's not scientific enough for me. And she didn't mean, she didn't mean I don't believe in it. She oh, just, okay. I don't have time. Yeah. Like I'm doing all this other shit. Right. So real scientists, you're absolutely right. Like they'll at least admit the limit. 
you know, right? So oh, yeah. I came to anthroposophy through science and I was in grad school because she, she told me to go to this place that did Gertian science studies at the same time I was in grad school for two things and teaching. And it was in New York and I was in Western Massachusetts. So, but I listened to her. So that was a ton of fucking work uh, driving back, back and forth all the time. But anyway, as I went through that development, I remember seeing my sister like a few years later after having done some of the work and she was like, it's so weird. You're just like so much nicer now. You're just like a better person. And I was like, I know. I think like with the occult, it's either like, it, like it's either true or it makes everybody crazy in the same way and ultimately makes you a better person through the process. <laughs> so, you know, take your pick. But either one I think is okay, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that, I, I like that a lot. And I think that kind of puts a nice cap on uh, what I wanted to get at today because, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think I wanted to do a nice solid pitch for the occult and for things outside of materialism because like, a podcast is about like left politics and stuff. Um, I guess that I've been thinking about a lot is just, you know, the situation that we're in, in the place that we live and the time that we live is one that you kind of feel meaningless. And then you, you read mm. something like Marx and you're like, well, it, it's like a really like eye opening experience. And it's something that is, um, kind of spiritual in a non-spiritual way in itself. And, uh, I came to think about this because I was watching Duncan Trussell's show, the midnight gospel. And mm. it's, you know, it's all about his woo stuff. And I was tweeting about it and all these hammer and sickle people were like, ah, you know, fuck that or whatever. And I was like, man, you guys like, A, you should also incorporate this stuff into your life and also B, why not just also make a midnight gospel that's about materialism? That would be really cool. My mind looks as vibrant inside of my head as the midnight gospel when I think about Marx and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and... I guess I sort of started to notice that, uh, you know, as, as important as materialism is, it's easy to become like a, a new atheist style reductionist or like a tanky or whatever the fuck I'm going to use a million words. People are going to yell at me over, but like a reductionist about it. And, um, and saying this is not to throw the entire thing out. It's to say like, you know, you should build upon it. These things are not mutually exclusive, um, it would be great. And it's also probably essential that we understand, um, you know, scientific things. And then also that, that there's a world outside the limits of our scientific understanding of things. And that, that world, you know, the, that under, that type of understanding can, uh, probably help us ultimately in political projects and also just, in whatever the fuck this is, you know, just being here. <laughs> hey, don't um, forget, it's a, uh, easier to go and pay attention to the magical sea monsters the scientists don't want you to know about if you're not working through wage labor all the time and competing with everyone to cut them down and rise right, them up. Right. right. <laughs> What's the point of the revolution? Is it just to do more revolution? No, it's to finally get to those fucking sea monsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, eight it's... hours for play, eight hours for sleep, <laughs> eight hours for sea monsters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it, it is really 
you know, I, everything is just the, the materialist stuff is helpful when it realizes its limits. That's when it actually becomes the most helpful and the most useful. And when it doesn't do that, even dialectical materialism, you know, which is kind of a, I always find it just sort of like a dodge or, you know, like a, a way to get away with materialism. It's like you, you have to, when you don't do that, you end up hitting a lot of the problems that we're hitting right now. And so, yeah, I mean, you see people like right now in this struggle where you see someone who's like on the the right and they're like, well, I, you know, I'm not wearing a mask. I just fuck my wife. I'm shooting guns off on the back of my truck and fuck you. And I'm, you know, I'm going to stick a firecracker up my asshole or whatever, you know. Yeah. And then the leftist is like, it may be five more years until the coronavirus pandemic is over. And, <laughs> you know, Amazon and neoliberal crushing, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, like who the fuck are people going to side with? Like, how are you going <laughs> to. Which of you is more alive right now? The firecracker, the firecracker sure. obviously. Everyone can see it. <laughs> but that, it's not to, it's not to like, it, the point is just to say that, the, you know, like the, the right is, is fueling itself on like a principle of enjoyment without having the sort of material conditions analysis. It's not like far enough. And the left is trying to do all the like expertise analysis shit without the enjoyment and the pleasure. It's based on a kind of negative view of the world and and so questions about meaning and value and humanity but i think even more importantly maybe even like questions about reality mm. are really are really important and so it's good to turn to the people that have actually taken real strides in this and i think honestly that the occultists and people that have complex spiritual views are some of the best people to turn to and people in other traditions across the world that don't just fall neatly into Western colonialist views of reality are some of the best people to turn to for this. All right. Um, well, I can't think of a better way to end this. So with that, happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> and let's do some plugs. Connor, when, uh, when, where can my listeners find you? How can they listen to your show? Yeah, I mean, those way you listen to podcasts, I guess. So <laughs> just against everyone with Connor Habib. And I have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. And um, I just have Twitter. I mean, I have other shit, but I don't ever use it. So it's just Connor Habib. That's basically it. I mean, I have a book coming out, but it doesn't come out till next summer. So oh, it doesn't cool. really count to bring it up right now. <laughs> uh, it's so, never a yeah. bad time. Okay, my novel Hawk Mountain comes out from Norton in the US and Penguin in Ireland and the UK in I think August of next year, but Oh, nice. Wait, yeah. Send <laughs> the <laughs> image of your novel out into the universe. And, uh, <laughs> exactly, little, exactly. Little <laughs> I just turned stuff. my, I've just turned this podcast into my vision board, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, what do we got, boys? Uh, at Anders Lee here on Twitter, Dursley on Instagram. Check out my other job, Redacted Tonight, uh, funded by the Russian government. Check it out on Portable. <laughs> Portable.tv and YouTube. Anders is a bot. I am a bot. <laughs> All right. I have a girlfriend. <laughs> uh, Alex. I'm here to remind everyone there's nothing more frightening than the healing power of love. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast, which did not have Halloween themed episodes. And so 
have room to improve. Uh, Balling Out Super, which is an anime comedy show, and then uh, Theater of Delights, the world's premier radio drama program streaming everywhere. And you can follow me on Twitter at Patak Jokes, and that's all my things. Nice. Um, let's see. Uh, my other show is called Why You Mad. Uh, we have merch for sale. Uh, poddamamerica.bigcartel.com. It's listed on all our stuff. We have bandanas um, that I made before COVID that just happened to be good for COVID. Shirts and stuff like that. And uh, subscribe to our Patreon for bonus episodes and to support the show if you don't know about that. Also, please give us a review on iTunes because... It, our reviews, are, you know, people hate me on the internet. There's there stuff are going dark on wizards <laughs> leaving us poor reviews. Yeah, think about it. I'm, possessing people. There are some people who, yeah, are, don't even have a political agenda, just find themselves possessed. And uh, I feel that. They're trying to find the meaning in their life that by hating something. Jake. Yeah. Exactly. Give me a five star constellation uh, in, in Capricorn on iTunes. Actually, that, that's the fucking cool thing about I. People should know this. You can't actually troll people on itunes so that's one of the best things you can put a bad review mm-hmm. but a low star review doesn't actually affect the visibility or how only a five star review does so oh, nice. try all you want evil wizards you can't you can't fuck them over by doing that you can only help them so yeah maybe we should be doing the opposite telling people to leave terrible reviews <laughs> i didn't know that <laughs> oh, yeah, go for it leave whatever you want i don't give a shit be honest uh, <laughs> I know when I know I've had a I, terrible time. Thank you. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Friday, <laughs> November sixth. Marketing, everyone. Great job. <laughs> Friday, Friday, November sixth. I'm doing my friend Amber Rollo's Zoom comedy show, and I think that's about it. Uh, maybe we'll do something for the election. Maybe we won't. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I don't want to, but I guess we have to. You know what I'm thinking of doing is there's a a rest stop in Delaware called the Joe Biden Center, and I kind of want to go there and report. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't be surprised. Hunter, I showed him a father's love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am a beautiful crack. boy while he's getting railed. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But that would be, I'm thinking of like going there as a correspondent during election night. I think it's going to be an interesting place. That sounds awesome, man. You should totally do that. All right. In the middle of Ireland, there's Barack Obama uh, service plaza. So maybe I'll go there hey. and oh, and some election coverage. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll do some sort of weird ritual with both of those <laughs> sacred, horrible temples. Um, all right. Happy Halloween, everybody. The podcast is over. It's finished. It's finished. All right. Hello, everyone. Once again, thank you for listening to the podcast this year. This has been the Halloween edition of Pod Damn America. October 31st. 2020 the year of the rat the year of covid the year of the uh snake i don't know uh um i'm doing a little cap at the end of this because this is this is our new year's being goth podcast this is when the clock takes over um i also wanted to Say thank you once again for listening i apologize for the sound on that interview i fucked up some shit because I am our producer's a spooky skeleton. 
it's not good. Um, we're a skeleton crew here, which means shit gets fucked up sometimes because we do not make as much money as the racist leftist podcasts. <laughs> uh, but that's all right because, you know, it's not what we're about. I don't give a shit. Uh, what am I talking about? Oh, music. So uh, the first track you heard in the interstitial there was by a band called uh, Nobody's Achievement, and uh, the song is called Stay Scared. Um, thank you to them for sending it in. It's very cool. Uh, I really liked it. It reminded me of, like, Fucked Up, Thursday, Screamo kind of shit. Uh, so I chose to include it because of the cool theme, Stay Scared, right? Um, if you are a listener and you make music, please keep sending shit in. This is not just a Halloween project. I wanted to continue to do this with the show because uh, I figured it was a way we could, I don't know, all share shit we make to the 10,000 or so people listen to this show. Uh, what am I doing? Forming a pirate radio station? I don't know, but I'm having a good time <laughs> uh, playing music to other people that listen to this shit. Uh, and since this is a particularly high production episode, I wanted to close out on something cool and I had a song that someone sent in that I thought sounded really eerie that I wanted to close out on. And then I also had another song that a friend of mine made that also sounds really eerie. And then I also wanted to close on. So I'm just going to do them both. This is now, um, probably going to be taken down off of Spotify for copyright infringement. I don't know. I'm not sure. This is all independently made shit. People wanted it to be played on the show. Uh, (laughs) but I guess now I'm a radio DJ, uh, how, Howlin Jake, I don't know. The first track you're about to hear is sent in by the friend of the artist, which I found really endearing. Um, artist is named Lily Smith, and she's singing a cover of a Natalie Merchant song called Diver Boy that is particularly haunting. So enjoy that, and then if you're still around at the end of the show, you'll hear a, a track off of my friend Mishka Shubali's new album, Mishka, if you've listened to the show for a long time, is a friend of mine and a very haunting songwriter, and he wrote this new album called I'll Be Gone that is pretty devastating. The cover of it is uh, him working on his piece of shit car, and it's uh, thematically seems to be a lot about alienation and uh, being a individual shitty old man. <laughs> um, and... Uh, you know, dealing with a lot of that sort of stuff. It's a great album. I'm sure I'll have him back on the show at some point to talk about it. But this track, Haunted Ghost, is particularly on brand and also particularly um, kind of intense. And I uh, highly recommend, if you want to really experience this, going into the show notes and looking at the YouTube video for this because it's done by... Someone really cool who I think, let me make sure I get this right, the uh, artist is Fiona Winterflood, who, I'll read this from the description. I got to be friends with Fiona Winterflood a couple of years ago while on a tour in the UK when she posted the video she made. I liked it so much that I reached out to her about making a video for this song. I respect her as an artist and wanted her to take on the song, so I tried to give her as little input as possible. I'm floored by how beautiful it came out. It's insane. It's full of ghosts and drag queens. Very cool. 
All right, everyone. Well, happy Halloween. Good luck with whatever the fuck you end up doing. Um, I don't know what I'm doing yet either. Maybe it'll be an indoor Halloween. I don't know. Um, anyways, enjoy the music. First, this is Diver Boy cover of an Alley Merchant song by Lily Smith. And after that, will be Haunted Ghost on Mission Shabbat. Emily was a fair lady, but she loved a diver boy Who sailed over the ocean to gather up some gold Seven long years returning his money for the show He'd been sailing o'er the main Down in the lowland low My father owns a big hotel down by the riverside You go there, go far to stay, and I shall be your bride Meet me early morning, don't let my parents know That you have been my diver boy down in the lowland low Young Henry taking a drink that night before he went to bed Not thinking about the danger that crowned all over his head Young Edward said to his father, let's take his money ashore Send his body sinking fast down in the lowland low Young Emily went to bed that night, she dreamed an awful dream She dreamed she saw her true love's blood go flowing down the stream Waking early morning to parents she did say oh, Where could be that stranger boy that came here for to stay Father, you're a robber, you robbed me of my rent Oh, brother, you have murdered the one that I love best The trees on yonder mountain are swaying to and fro They remind me of my diver boy They remind me of my diver boy Down in the lowland low Don't you? 
came out your mouth would they cry because it sounds so strange do they know what I was to 